0: If you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, I'll be reading verses 13 through the end of the chapter, really the end of the book. We are nearing the end of this wonderful epistle. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, this is the word of our God. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. We are rounding out our study of this epistle, First John. And as I have mentioned many times all throughout, But the overarching purpose of John's epistle here is to help Christians to have assurance. And in fact, we're now coming to what many consider to be the theme verse of the whole of the book. So that you would know. So that you would know Just as his gospel account was written so that you would believe, now he writes to those who believe that you would know. It is remarkable to me that many who profess faith in Christ will constantly try to harp on the idea that Christians cannot truly know if they're saved. The Bible says otherwise. And yes, it is certainly true, as even our own confessional statements will say, that Christians may struggle long and hard with what we call assurance. Nevertheless, it really is possible that Christians can have this infallible assurance of God's grace in your life. 1 John was primarily written for that purpose— It is not the only place to which we turn. There are other places in Scripture that can remind us. We think of what Paul says to the Philippian church. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. There's so many different passages. And it is certainly true that as Christians, there are times of doubt, times of frustration, times of wondering, where is God in my life? Now, if you're not experiencing those things, praise God. But of course, I would always ask yourself, ask yourself this question. Why is it that right now I have assurance of grace? Why is it right now that I have assurance of salvation in my life? Hopefully, your answer is turned away from you and turned to Christ. There's nothing in and of yourself that should give you assurance. But in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we have everything to give us assurance. But assurance also leads to other things in our lives. And it's fascinating here that John immediately goes from establishing the purpose of his book at the end, this epistle, to remind us that he's here to give us assurance and that this assurance should then lead to us having confidence in coming to God. And if you think about it, that should be the natural result of getting a stronger assurance in our own hearts and minds. As our faith increases and we see God's promises and we embrace those promises and our assurance is strengthened, our unbelief is being whisked away. That should naturally lead us to come to God with even more confidence, to offer our prayers before him, to offer our concerns, and be sure that he hears us. Well, as we look at verses 13 through 15 in particular today, what I hope to show out of these verses is simply this that assurance of God's grace naturally leads us to confidence that God answers our prayers. Assurance of God's grace naturally leads us to confidence that God answers our prayers. We're gonna look at this under three headings, and each of them are one simple word. First of all, knowing, Second, praying, and then finally, receiving. Knowing, praying, and receiving. So first of all, knowing. Look again at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things. And even for emphasis, what John does here, the first word of the verse in the Greek is these things. He wants to highlight these things. These are the things that I wrote to you. What things? Well, obviously, it's the whole of the epistle so far. All of these things. He's referring to everything that he has written, and he's given us all these things so that you would know He's writing to you who believe. That includes even you. He's not just writing to his church, which was probably the Ephesian church of the day. He's writing to you. It is the Spirit speaking through John 2,000 years ago, a word of encouragement that applies to each and every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. It's for you. He's writing to all of you who believe. Remember, believe, that is, have faith. These already are believers. That's why it's also important to understand that the Bible, yes, is redemptive revelation. It points to who Jesus Christ is. That's what John's gospel is. It's written so that people would believe. But it's also written to those who are Christians, even mature Christians, if you will, for their own consolation, for their own comfort, for their own building themselves up in holiness through word and spirit. The Bible is not merely evangelistic. It is not merely just go out and preach the gospel that people would be saved. Yes, we want that, but the Great Commission, even as we understand it, disciple the nations. It involves all of Scripture, teaching all of what Christ has commanded, but also to provide comfort and consolation to believers in times of trouble, to assure them of God's love in their lives, that they may grow in faith and grow in assurance that you may know. And please understand it. It is not come to know, but know with certainty to be assured to have true confidence, not in yourself, but in the promises, in the grace, in the work of Jesus Christ, that you may know these things are written. You see, oftentimes, though it's not universal, oftentimes, Those who lack assurance usually do not have a steady diet of the word. Sure, there will be times where Christians, believing Christians, will say, oh, I'm really having all kinds of doubts. I'm really discouraged. Am I really a Christian? And they hope that they open up their Bible and just like that, they're going to have instant assurance. Now, the Lord can certainly work that way. But it's sort of like dieting and eating healthy. If all you've done is eat donuts your whole life, and you decide, boy, I'm feeling terrible, i got to start eating healthy, I'm going to eat a salad. It's not like all of a sudden that salad is going to make you 100% healthy, just on the spot. It takes a steady diet of eating right and exercise to get into proper health. So it is with the Word of God though God can use his word to do amazing instantaneous things, we ought to expect that he will work ordinarily on a steady diet, digesting the whole counsel of God. So my first challenge to you is, if you are struggling with doubts and assurance of your own grace, are you steadily reviewing the promises of God, steadily reviewing who God himself is, his characteristics, his love, the fact that he keeps covenant with his people. Do you have a steady diet of who Jesus is, what he came to do? That will help strengthen your assurance. But notice it is those who believe. Those who don't believe have no reason to have assurance. They don't even believe it. But he writes to those who believe, those who have faith, and this faith has an object. And notice how John puts it, belief in the name of the Son of God. Name throughout the Bible has great significance, we think about Moses at the burning bush. And Moses, of course, looking for excuse after excuse after excuse not to lead the people of God, finally says, well, if they ask me who's, who's going to do this, who's, who sent me, what name shall I give? Names matter in the Bible. And the name of God is paramount. It tells us who he is and what he is like. But this is the name of the Son of God and who, of course, is the only begotten Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name itself means Jehovah saves, or Jehovah is salvation. Salvation is found in him. You who believe in his name, to believe in Jesus' name is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus' name is to believe in his work. And you who believe in his name, he writes these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Notice that key word, know. Not N-O, but K-N-O-W. Knowledge, to know something. John wants his readers to know with certainty That if they are believers, they truly have eternal life. He wants you to know, the Spirit wants you to know, you who believe, that you have eternal life. Do you know it? Do you see who God is? Do you trust in the name that is above every name and do you rest upon his finished work? My friends, that's how you come to know that you have eternal life. But I sin every day. You're right, you do. Probably a whole lot more than you realize. But oh, our Savior's grace overturns all of that. You can know that you have eternal life because it comes from our great covenant-keeping God. Well, this then leads us to a conclusion here. And maybe you missed it. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you glossed over it. But notice that John says that you know that you have eternal life. Did you notice what John didn't say? Even though it's true. He didn't say that you would know that you will someday have eternal life. You have it now. You have it now, today. You are having it, it is in your possession. Sometimes after a hard day of working out in the yard or whatever, we can wake up the next morning and we are sore. And it doesn't feel like that's eternal life. This is what we remind ourselves in with the whole idea of the already and the not yet. It is certainly true that the full consummation of things is not quite present But you have it now, but so certain is it that John can use it in the present tense. You have it now. It is secured and kept waiting for you. You can know that we have eternal life. And this confidence then can lead us in all other areas of life. And John hits upon a major one. And this leads us to our second point, praying. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is the confidence. That is a perfectly legitimate translation. Confidence, it could also be translated boldness. But interestingly enough, it is a word that often carries the idea of having free speech not in terms of like what we think of in our First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, but bold speech, being able to speak openly, speak freely. You have free, unfettered access to be able to speak. Sometimes you see movies and TV shows that have some sort of military connotation, whether it's like modern military, U.S. Army, Marines, Navy, whatever the case may be, or futuristic and sci-fi, and the subordinate will say, permission to speak freely, sir. What John is now saying here, we have confidence, you can speak freely. Now, of course, that goes with certain qualifications. You don't have the freedom to blaspheme God, but you can come freely. The door is always open for you to speak with confidence before God. This is our confidence. This is our boldness. This is our freedom to speak before God. It's not unlike what Paul says in Romans 5 when he speaks about those who are justified, those who now stand before God justified, have access into this grace. Free, unfettered access. It is confidence. It is boldness. It is assurance, notice what John says, toward Him. It's not to do whatever we want or say whatever we want. It's saying what we want toward Him, toward God Himself. We don't need to wait our turn. In fact, for the children of God, it's always your turn. Why is it then we have this freedom to speak, this confidence? It's because we've got the eternal life. We're assured we have eternal life coming before God. That's what enables us to come before God. And all that Christ has accomplished for us, we can come before him. But it's not simply that. But notice what also our confidence comes in. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's why we have confidence. If we ask anything, he hears us. Notice that's not quite what John says, is it? Oh, Lord, I want a Rolls Royce. I highly doubt that's in his will. John qualifies this very carefully. We ask anything according to his will. First of all, the mere fact that we have this confidence, John then says, if we ask anything according to his will, that John is trying to encourage each of us to, to actually do it, to act. For those of you that have been part of the Wednesday study of recent weeks, we've read a book by Gary Waldekar, and one of the things that we are stressing in that book is to have the confidence to pray to God for that which he promises to do. We sometimes come humbly in some respects, but almost too timidly, like as if, well, maybe I'm just asking for too much here, or we're not really expecting God to do big things, God will do big things. He defines the big things, not us. But we can expect it. We can ask, and we're encouraged to ask. But as I mentioned, it's probably rather foolish to me to ask for a Rolls Royce. We don't get the right to ask for anything we want. We're not, while we are children of God, we are not spoiled brats. While our God and Father on high blesses us richly, he doesn't spoil us. We must never confuse the two. Parents who spoil their children, oftentimes it's because they're trying to bribe them in some way or to make up for something. What God blesses us with is for His glory and our good, always. We're not spoiled brats. And no amount of stamping our feet is going to move God to get us our way. Oh, He might give us our way, but not in the sense that we want it. We're not spoiled brats. What we are to ask is that which is according to to His will. Now to be sure, I get it. I understand it. There are things we don't know what His will is. We just don't. The secret things belong to the Lord. We don't know what the future holds. But there's a reality in God's Word that shows us a great many things concerning the will of God. As individuals, we understand this. We should understand this. You husbands, is it God's will that you should love your wife? Wives, is it God's will that you should respect and honor your husband? Children, is it God's will that you obey your parents? Parents, is it God's will that you raise your ch- children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? These are just certain a couple of examples if you know these things to be true, you know part of God's will for your life. And so when we pray, it is good for husbands to pray and say, Lord, help me to be a husband to love my wife. As a wife to pray, help me to be a wife that honors and respects her husband, etc. But here's the thing, and we'll take a little practical side of things for a moment. Oftentimes, I fear that our attitude when we ask God to help us to be a better husband, wife, father, boss, employee, whatever the case may be, that we're just expecting that we ask for that, God's going to give us a little checklist and a how-to-do list. Well, first of all, he already did in his word. But the reality is, it's sort of like we joke about Lord, teach me patience. Okay. The Lord will put you in a situation that you have to be patient. We would just rather have an instruction manual. Lord, teach me to love my wife. Okay, I'm going to put you in a position where you have to love your wife. Okay, I'm going to have to put you in a position so that you have to honor your employer. You're not going to get a simple little checklist. You're actually going to be put into the situation so that you will grow in the grace and that you will follow his will. That's not intended to hinder your prayers. You have to understand that this is a means of grace. And the Lord through this will sanctify you and it will be for your benefit. If we ask anything according to his will. But let's take this in the context of the church. Christ commissioned the church, disciple the nations, baptizing them, teaching them, reminding us also that, that Christ is with us wherever we go. we will sometimes twist that in such a way maybe in the name of laziness maybe in the name of fear maybe in the name of expediency well i don't know where where in tulsa is god's will for me to share the gospel that's the wrong question the command you know god's will disciple the nations whether it's across the street down the road, in the supermarket, whatever the case may be. Disciple the nations. You know his will. Maybe not some of the specifics for you in a particular moment, but you know the general principle. You know the general rules. You know his will. Ask for things according to his will. Brothers and sisters, don't fear it. Embrace it. But here's the thing, what John says. We have confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. What is John not simply saying there? It's not as though God just happens to be in the room with us when we ask, and so he hears what we're praying. No, when he says that he hears us, it's that he heeds us. He heeds us. He listens to our prayers. And he answers them, he answers our prayers. Some of us have been praying for some things for a really long time. But you understand that that's only from your own perspective. In the scope of eternity, how long have you really been praying? God hears you when you pray for things that are according to his will. He hears you. This is what he says. It is much more profound than what we tend to think of hearing. It's not God's omnis that are at work here. That he happens to hear everything. That is certainly true. Ask anything according to his will. That's what he hears. That's what he focuses on. He takes note of those prayers. He heeds those prayers. And he does so because it's his will And it's because for us, it's a means of grace. You see, at the end of the day, prayer is not getting God to do what we want. What prayer is intended to do is to shape our hearts and minds to the will of God. What what prayer is intended to do is to conform our will to his And when we pray in accordance to his will, we're simply praying back his will. And God will, of course, carry out his will. And he will do so through your prayers. That's why prayer is a means of grace. It conforms your will to his. But it's one thing to pray for it. It's one thing to even say that God heeds it, hears us, listens to us. But we actually also receive it. And that brings us to our third and final point. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If we know that he hears us, this is not being posed to you as kind of a hypothetical Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But if he does, it's really being presented more like this. It it, it has the idea, if we know that he hears us, and he does, you can have assurance and certainty that he hears us. How do you know? He promised it. Pray then with confidence that God hears you. He hears you in whatever you ask. Now, this is the point where I come again and remind you that this is a statement that is qualified from the verse before. It's in accordance to His will. Some people, especially the gospel prosperity, or prosperity gospel, excuse me, the name and claim it folks will just look Here at verse 15. He hears us in whatever we ask. We'll receive it. Forgetting the previous verse. Dare I say, not forgetting the previous verse, but ignoring the previous verse. It has to be in accordance to his will. And when we do that, he hears us. But not only does he hear it, notice what John says. We know that we Have it. We have it. Whatever we ask, we know we have the requests. By the way, the word, the noun there, requests, and the verb, ask, same root. Basically, the noun form of the verb, or verb form of the noun, however you prefer to look at it. We know that we have it, not come to know, but know with certainty, we have it. We have it. This seems so far-fetched to our feeble minds. It really does. And I don't stand here and pretend like I've got this all figured out and I've got it all perfect in my life. I don't. And part of the reason is is because I forget these promises. We have the request that we've asked things for in accordance to his will. We have it. And yet so often we doubt it. And John stresses yet again, twice in verse 15, he uses Know, to know, we know that we have the requests. He doesn't just declare it to us. He reminds us we have assurance that we have these things. This is our struggle from day to day. A lack of faith, a lack of assurance. We as reformed Calvinistic Christians will sometimes fear Sounding too charismatic in what we pray for. Is God going to grow his church in Christ Jesus? That's a simple yes or no question. If your answer is anything other than yes, you've got a problem. But if you know the answer is yes because he has promised it, guess what? Pray to that end with confidence. Maybe he won't grow it in the way you want it to grow, but he's going to grow it. And this is why at the end of the day, prayer is intended to conform our will to his. Grow your church in the way you see fit, Lord. Use me if you will, but just grow your church. And that promise is there. We have the answer to that request And Christ continues to grow his church every day. None of us should be upset if somebody out there in the world gets saved and they go to a different Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. None of us should sit there and say, oh, what a shame, we missed him. We should rejoice that he's been saved and he's part of a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. We're not in competition. But we have whatever we've asked for. And see, at the end of the day, with respect to what John is presenting here, with respect to our prayer life, growing our prayer life out of our assurance of salvation, what John teaches here is actually nothing new, even for him. We saw this in John 15 and John 16. John 15, 7. All of these verses are Christ speaking. Christ says this in verse 7 of chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then down in verse 23 of chapter 16, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is the confidence that you and I can come to the Lord in prayer that if we ask anything in accordance to His will, not only will He do it, we have it. We have it now. And we should rejoice in this truth. Maybe we don't see it with our eyes, maybe we don't hear it with our ears but it is sure and certain and true. We have it. So brothers and sisters, remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Know that if you believe in Christ, know that you have eternal life. And what flows from that assurance, what flows from that certain knowledge of eternal life is that whatever we ask the Lord in accordance to his will, we have it today. Maybe not in its fullness. Maybe it's still only through faith, not by sight. But we can be assured. We have it just as much as we have eternal life itself. So brothers and sisters, out of the faith that Christ has blessed you with, out of the assurance that his word and spirit gives to you who believe that you have eternal life, pray knowing full well that God will give all that you ask, all that you pray for, that's in accordance to his will. So brothers and sisters, pray with boldness. Pray with confidence, because our Lord will heed those prayers for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of his name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in God, in heaven, we do give you praise and thanks for your word and what it reminds us of, the assurance that we have in Christ Jesus, the assurance of eternal life to all who believe, and the confidence that flows from that that anything we ask in accordance to your will, you hear us and we receive whatever we ask. Oh Lord, make your promises known, make your will known to us in your word that we may pray for these things and we may receive them to the glory of your name and to the growth of your church and the growth of our own individual lives. Thank you, Lord, for your precious promises. May we live out of them in full assurance that you will do all your holy will. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.